All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today, as always, in the bunker, late August. Kelly, how's it going? I'm great. Do you think we'll ever leave the bunker again? I think I covered this last week. We leave when they tell us that we're going to leave. Oh, gosh. That's true. Yeah. So this is a Bob Dylan podcast. Never forget it. Every week we listen to a brand new Bob Dylan song, or in this case, a full album. Uh, we let it sit in our consciousness. We grapple with it. We listen to it. We live our lives as normal. And then we come together at the end of the week and we talk about it. So if you want to follow along with us, you will know at the end of this episode what next week's will be. Or if you're listening in order, you can just pop in, listen to the song, and then start the next podcast. But we also encourage you to uh, do it along with us. Um, usually during the week on all of our social media stuff, we'll send out a lot of tweets and fun stuff, pictures, and we just talk about the record basically all week or the song and try to dig into it as best we can. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the estimated percentage of dark matter that makes up the universe. This week, we listened to the... Yes, you do know how many episodes we've done. This week, we listened (laughs) to, crazily enough, we had two John Wesley Harding songs in a row, took a little break to listen to the Rolling Thunder, and we return to listen to the entire album. So, like we said last week, probably more primed for this than we've been primed for anything else. So, this is John Wesley Harding. John Wesley Harding was a friend to the poor. He traveled with a gun in every hand. All along this countryside, he opened All right, Kelly. So we spent an entire week with John Wesley Harding, uh, 1967's John Wesley Harding. How did you, initial thoughts, how did you feel before we dig into all the songs like we've done before? I'm feeling like a turncoat. Nice. Which is, I think, Well, Benedict Arnold over here. Rolling Thunder messed me up, man. I, I would assume that it would mess you up. Yeah, yeah because I you was... You were really into Scarlet and I know. really into to Desire, yeah. I really thought that I would... I was, like, waiting for this moment so we could have an album where it was just Acoustic Bob and we're going to do it. We're going to do it, folks. Well, you're on the record last week as saying Harmonica Bob is the best Bob. Oh, until <laughs> Scarlet yeah. and Bob. Bob is the best Bob. So now my world's forever changed. So while this was a fine album, it was, like, sweet and, and it, was, it was great for what it was. I mean, it feels very... Very 60s, like soft and gentle. Maybe it sounds like the 60s because we know it's the 60s, but it also, this was released in the Summer of Love. This was released a couple of weeks after Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band came out, <laughs> and everyone's releasing their psychedelia records that Bob Dylan influenced with Blonde on Blonde, and he's just turning heel and writing country pop songs. Well, see, that's, I don't know, I think that there's, there's obviously going to be a million sides to every part uh-huh. of history, but... Yes, there's that. Psychedelic, let's yeah. d- shred it up and do crazy shit. Yeah. But then also, I'm like, just people just like canoodling in a field, painting stupid flowers on each other's faces and listening to sweet Bob Dylan little... Oh. Hippies. Oh, so you would think that the hippies would have been fine with this. I think so. Okay. Yeah. I think the right hippie. <laughs> <laughs> I think the hippies we know now would certainly be fine. Well, I, I don't know. I guess I don't really know what's going on with the hippies back then. So it's it sounded good, but it's desire is really where your heart is laying right now. Yeah. Seventy six is where you are. Sixty seven, you're not. You 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 seem to enjoy Dear Landlord and 
uh, I dreamed I saw St. Augustine. The you know vibe, the laconic vibe. This yeah. whole record beyond the last two songs pretty, had pretty much the same vibe. Were you in that vibe space? Was that? I guess not. But also, I think maybe the delineation for me is legitimately just Bob and a guitar slash harmonica versus this, where it's still acoustic. We don't have any electric instru- instruments, but we do have a full band. Right. Well, two and that, that changes the sign, the sound yeah. for me a lot. So, I think what I was like hoping for was just Bob and the guitar, mm-hmm. like folk singer choice and stuff. Like I still enjoy that a lot. And even like after we listen to desire, I think that that'll still be a great yeah. thing for me, but this was didn't really hit that. Let's just get into the context really quick and maybe see what we, how we can form uh, some of the, some of the impact of the songs themselves. So like I said, this was released December 27th, 1967. This is around, I mean, he was basically left the basement tapes, you know, hanging out with the band and he just went off to Nashville to record this. So he did not record it with the band. I think we talked briefly, uh, I think it was during, uh, yeah, Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine, where we have the version of his from the Isle of Wight in 1969, two years later, where it was almost like this normal song had been turned into like a waltz. Right. And, you know, I think it's fair to speculate, like if the band were there, the sound of John Wesley Hardy would be drastically different. Instead, he went with people who had worked with him before, worked with him on Blonde on Blonde, um, which is kind of crazy, too, to have such a psychedelic wild mercury insane sound a very unique sound something that really hasn't been heard before and then kind of turn around and just go right for the bass that's all they have bass drums piano and guitar bob on all of that so there's only three musicians uh, except for at the very end where they get a fourth but we'll get into that later yeah so just to just to highlight the sound really quick uh kenneth buttry is on the drums and charlie mccoy is on the bass so i think that their footprints are as seismic as bob's like i think that the drumming on this is like spectacular yeah and the bass too the bass drives the whole thing it's almost like a main instrument yeah in a lot of ways so it doesn't it does not hide behind bob dylan in any stretch it it almost like it it's almost like one-to-one with bob's you know voice it's incredible uh so according to bob dylan in 1971 he said quote i didn't intentionally come out with some kind of mellow sound i would have liked more steel guitar more piano more music i didn't sit down and plan that sound so even him he probably thinks more on your line. He would have he would have done a lot more. Uh, producer Bob Johnson, who had done Blonde on Blonde, and then a year later is doing this, um, he said that despite the lack of instrumentation, he felt, uh, quote, I don't think it was really country. Uh, some of it is country. Some of it is uh, 29 Dust Bowl days of Woody Guthrie, which I think the moralizing and stuff like that. Uh, this album was cut in three sessions over four days. The album was done on November 29th and was brought to press on the 27th of December, which is kind of an insane turnaround for a major label, putting out arguably one of the biggest pop stars in the entire world. Bob requested that this have no promotion, no lead up, that somebody would walk into a record store and see a new Bob Dylan album there. And it worked. It was number two um, on the charts. Uh, I don't know what was number one, but I'm going to guess probably Sgt. Peppers or something like that. It took him nine full hours to cut this entire record. And it took, as we've said before, Sgt. Pepper's took 127 hours. Bob Dylan in 68 said, quote, what I'm trying to do now is to not use too many words. There's no line that you can stick your finger through. There's no hole in any of the stanzas. There's no blank filler. Each line has something. Apparently on Dylan's train ride, if we're supposed to believe this, which we might, because there's no recordings of him in the basement tapes demoing these songs or playing them and there's and he goes back to the basement to play more it's not like it stopped and he moved on he didn't go back and play these songs either so there's an overlap of time where he's doing these two things at once so he wants us to believe that he wrote these you know in lyric form you know with no music 
on the way, the train ride from New York, <laughs> which, again, could be true because, yeah. I mean, there's no evidence that he was doing anything else. Um, Allen Ginsberg later said, quote, there was no wasted language, no wasted breath. All the imagery was to be functional rather than or- ornamental. And then Dylan in 1978, reflecting on everything, said, quote, the rest of the songs were written out on paper and I found the tunes on and I found the tunes for them later. I didn't do it before, and I haven't done it since. That might account for the specialness of that album. Uh, Charlie McCoy later noted, um, talking about Kenny, the drummer, he said, quote, Kenny and I were amazed at the change from Blonde on Blonde to John Wesley Harding. The recording was different. Of course, he sounded different. He looked different. When we first came for Blonde on Blonde, it was a wild fright wig. The next time he came back, his hair was a lot shorter. His voice sounded different. We just flew through that stuff. Now, for the album itself... The cover, you know, we were looking at that cover today. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird cover, like just a bunch of people standing around. But who are these people? Um, so it turns out that the two people are two people. Their names are Luxman and Pruna Das, who are two Bengali balls, part of, a, you know, Eastern religion. And they're also musicians. And they were brought by Albert Grossman, his manager, to basically meet Bob Dylan because they were touring the United States or whatever, playing music. And so <laughs> he was just there. They were there in Woodstock and they popped him on. They were uh, like, hey, the South Beatles Asian are musicians. all about the sitars. Maybe these guys will... <laughs> well, yeah. That? And that's where Bob's like, well, you don't know what's going on. So this is gonna <laughs> be. Uh, and so they were South Asian musicians. Yeah, brought to Woodstock. And uh, and then uh, Charlie Joy, who was a local stone mason and carpenter. He was he was the one behind whose head is kind of popping up there. Oh. So he just kind of popped into the thing. And there's a couple of weird outtakes. There's no like definitive outtakes that I've seen. They're all like really fuzzy and blurry. <laughs> and they have like a ghost-like feel where you have like these you know, two darker men. And then you have like this weird Bob Dylan. Like you can tell it's Bob Dylan. Cause he has such a, I don't know, like an aura around him. You, your eye just kind of gets drawn to that weirdo, like every photograph <laughs> you see. So they're these really weird. So if you go to our, our website or on our Twitter, uh, we'll absolutely have those there. Funny enough, our cover this week for Kelly's booklet is the Beatles, which we'll get into why that is, but there was actually a rumor and kind of looks like it. And you can find this on our website, too. If you flip the album cover over, where the trees are kind of parting, you know, just like a normal tree would be, and there's a little bit of, um, you know, light coming through, you can make out the faces of the Beatles. What? Sort of lined up and kind of not really that pose because that's later 1970, let it be. But, you know, sort of they're just kind of there. That's hilarious. And it's not a one-to-one, but it looks convincing enough for me i'm like holy shit wow. uh and then they rolling stone like of course made it a huge thing in the 60s and they were like is this really the case i think i was like i have no idea what you're talking about it's <laughs> like on second thought kind of does look like it holy yeah. shit like that was of course definitely not my plan, plan. Yeah. exactly this ushers in a very different period of bob dylan's writing back in the day everybody i mean bob dylan was putting out records every 18 months at least nobody sat on their asses i mean you go back in time and look at the beatles the stones Every major artist and musician was putting out records twice a year, you know, six months, just because that was the contract pace. So when Bob Dylan fulfilled his contract with Blonde on Blonde, he negotiated a new contract with Columbia to stay at Columbia, and he would give them records whenever he saw fit. Now, they wouldn't have to pay him in advance. That was kind of the deal. They would pay us so we would survive, and then we would give you something. But Bob, for, for he foregoed the money up front for a 10% royalty rate, which was unprecedented. Even the Beatles didn't get that. So he was going to make money whenever he produced something. And that's how he became a very, 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 very rich man um, by, by doing that. Um, and also has some epic liner notes that I won't kind of go into here because we only have so much time, but they are really bizarre. You have Kings, one who uh, has a broken nose, a second a broken arm, and a third uh, was broke 
that's all he says just broke this is bob dylan's like his liner notes are basically like stories and poems that he puts in there and, and the main character in that is is a man named frank now is it the same as frankie lee nobody says however later on they say frank he began mr dylan has a new out al- mr dylan has come out with a new album this record of course features none but his own songs and we understand that we understand that you're the key that's right said frank i am well then, said the king in the, with a bit of excitement, could you please open it up for us? All right, so let's get into the songs themselves. So we're going to kind of treat it like we did last week where we go song by song. And we're going to have Kelly sort of leading the way because these songs, just like last week, I mean, we were dealing with a lot of classics that we're going to revisit. We've already visited some of these and something like All Along the Watchtower, we've very much visited in our normal lives. But some of these we might not get for a very long time. So Kelly... Let's talk about the songs themselves. So let's start with number one, John Wesley Harding. John Wesley Harding. Uh, John Wesley Wesley Harden was a real person. He was a real person. He was a real piece of shit. He was a real piece of shit. (laughs) Yeah, I thought like going into it, he would be more of like a Robin Hood outlaw type. And he just turned out to be a monster. And a liar. Just like saying that he killed more people than he actually killed, which was a significant number. Yeah, enough people. Oh my God. Yeah. 20 something. Yeah. I guess it was like a big deal because you started murdering people from such a young age. And like, that's where the West was different. I mean, yeah, that's true. So he's alive in the 1870s. It seemed like a generally bad dude. Yeah. Would just kind of kill anybody he came across if he felt like if it just came upon him to do so, he would kill them. So now we have a ballad in his name. Exactly. Roughly. And it has nothing to do with even tangentially what sort of life John Wesley Hardin lived. Yeah. Which At all. Good, er, I guess. Then he's not singing to John Wesley Harding. He's no. not talking about John Wesley Harding, Hardin, and, you know, that change is, like, significant in all the ways that it needs to be. But also, I think it says a lot more about, even if it is the right character, it it does what this record does, which is, like, turns everything upside down. And we've already seen that with, uh, like, mainly with St. Augustine, like where he's not actually talking about St. Augustine. Like it right. doesn't really have those sh- shades. And I think with John Wesley Harding, it's the same. He's not, he's not addressing John Wesley Harding. Right. It's almost like he's starting a lonesome ballad and then he just gets tired, which is exactly what Bob Dylan said. Um, Bob Dylan said, I was going to write this ballad on like maybe one of, maybe one of those old cowboy, you know, a real long ballad. But in the middle of the second verse, I got tired. <laughs> I had a tune, and I didn't want to waste the tune. It was a nice little melody, so I just wrote a quick third verse, and I recorded that. I knew people were going to listen to that song and say that they didn't understand what it was, what was going on, but they would have singled that song out later if we hadn't have called the record John Wesley Harding and placed so much importance on that. If that hadn't been done, that song would have come up, and people would have said it was a throwaway song. Like, if he had not named the album. Exactly. <laughs> so funny. And he's just like, I just scribbled off a third verse. Uh, and then he told Newsweek later, um, talking about his next record, in 1969's Nashville Skyline, he said, quote, These are the type of songs that I always felt like writing. The songs reflect more the inner me than the songs of the past. They're more to my bass than, say, John Wesley Harding. He's talking about the songs on Nashville Skyline. They're more to my bass than, say, John Wesley Harding. There I felt like everyone expected me to be a poet, so that's what I tried to be. <laughs> that's another interesting take, kind of a dichotomous take from what you've said before in 1967. So I don't know. Like, I don't think Bob – this song has never been played live. I don't think Bob knows what he had here, knows what he was doing with it. It's kind of a weird song. Yeah. 
It's fine. I mean, the bass is killer. The, it is killer. The harmonica and bass, with the exception of one song, there's no harmonica. Every other song there is, uh, or just killer on every every song. The bass, especially. Yeah. Um, the only note I have for this is every hand, gun in all both hands. I know. I just think it's funny they said every hand instead of each. You know what I learned from this song, Daniel? you're nice to people and have all the guns people will like you nice nice we are doing that so this is uh this is the moral learning corner uh i i don't i'm not sure i honestly don't know i don't know if it's like be an outlaw but be a robin hood outlaw um and don't be in a self-aggrandizing murderous monster Mm, i think those are kind of but i like yours better be nice and have guns be nice and have guns two guns same hand all all hands all hands next song on john wesley harding is as i went out one morning it's been played one time in Toronto, 1974, you lucky bastards. He played it once? Once in his career. Holy shit. Yes. He never, no, he, he never played John Wesley Harding. Whoa. Yeah, there's, I think, three on here that he's never played. Whoa. I know. Oh, we'll get to it. You never played the title track of one of your albums? That's bananas. Well, because I, it, it kind of gets back to that St. Augustine where he only, well, I played that one 39. What is it? Dear Landlord. He almost didn't understand what he had. The, the first line was really good. Right. And then the rest of it, it took him 25 years to even come around to it and feel any closeness to it. So John Wesley Harding, I would, I would. I would say today, just based on like some of the stuff I've read, he probably feels the same way. He has no clue what he's got. He, he doesn't understand it because mainly it means nothing. Yeah, that makes sense. That would be my guess. And a lot of people get hung up on that, but we've harped and will continue to harp, especially with this record. It's this is science fiction. This is we're in a different world, uh, a world that's the upside down. We're in the upside down right now. This oh, is Stranger shit, Things. It's coming back soon. It is coming back. Yes. Or it's already out if you're listening in the future. Enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're doing four seasons. Maybe all four seasons are out. Stranger Things, Netflix. Anyways, <laughs> um, this this is brought to you by Netflix. <laughs> if only. Yeah, oh my god. This 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 album was picked because of the upside down elements, obviously. Right, right, right. And egos, don't forget. And. So, yeah, this is kind of like an upside-down little world, and I don't think Bob has any – he doesn't relate to it. And also, based on what he played in those sessions, I mean, it's kind of nonsense because he had everything from the basement tapes. But if it was his goal not to do that, he sat down with a very taut experiment, and he did it. There is no song that he recorded during these sessions that doesn't make it on the album. He has some false starts. He might have an alternate version. You know, while he's playing it, he might have a couple different versions that really have not been heard because he only spent nine hours and he walked in and just did it. He did his job. And so these, you know, 12 songs are the songs that 
he was writing for John Wesley Harding. That's it. This is what it looks like when Bob Dylan writes words before I make music. And by all accounts for me, that was a rousing success because he did that with the basement tapes too. And those are some of the best music he's ever, he's ever made, including here, I think. So I wish he did that more. I'm going to say that. So anyways, moving on. As I went out one morning, been played one time Toronto 1974. Kelly, what did you think about that one? Harmonica and bass. I'm sensing a theme. Like that's just assume I say harmonica and bass. You can say it every every time. time. I mean, yeah. Uh, I don't want to go, but you should go. Okay, I guess I'll go. That's what I took from this song. Is like, he's like, I don't want to go with this lady, and the lady's like, you should come with me though. And he's like, no, okay then. Who's the lady? I don't know. Is it Sarah? No, it's not Sarah. Oh, I don't know. What did What did the lady have? What was the lady wearing? You've got oh, you don't have the lyrics. That's right. We're not digging into it. The lady, of course, was wearing chains. Oh yeah. And you got Tom Payne. This woman is saying, "Save me," and Tom Payne is saying, "No." I'm scared of you. And then at the end of the song, it was somebody coming up, in this case, the slave master, saying, sorry, sir, this woman is pestering you. I yeah. will go away. Yeah. That's okay. Wow. I didn't so Tom Payne, I mean, for me, it's Tom Payne. The moral of this story, do not be Tom Payne. Uh, but Tom Payne is obviously, if you know your American history, he wrote Common Sense. He was an advocate for independence from Britain. So using him as some, like, cipher for... A story as as a metaphor, as a stand-in for America. He is basically here is slavery. Here's your chance to help a slave, and Tom Payne is turning his back on on the slave, and the master is coming up and apologizing to him for the inconvenience, and Tom Payne goes on with his life as if nothing happened. Mm. Um, Grau Marcus had a great take on that wall in his review for Rolling Stone. He said, "Quote." I sometimes hear the song as a brief journey into American history. The singer is out for a walk in the park, finding himself next to a statue of Tom Paine and stumbling across an allegory. Tom Paine, a symbol of freedom and revolt, co-opted into the role of patriot by textbooks and statue committees, and now playing, as befits his role as patriot, enforcer to a girl who runs for freedom, in chains, to the South, the source of vitality in America and America's music, away from Tom Paine. We have turned our history on its head. We have perverted our own myths. Well, what I learned from this song was that you should always listen to strangers if you want to go on adventures. But now it doesn't seem doesn't seem like it was like that at all. No, the chains <laughs> the chains are a giveaway, and also I love it because it's just so subtle. You don't immediately think, "Oh my God, this is about American slavery," and this is a really yeah. dark song. I think again, it's what you read into it, and, and really knowing more about Tom Paine because if you don't know who Tom Paine is, the song comes off as kind of like a like yeah, don't go with strangers or do go with strangers. Next is a little ditty called I Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine that was played 39 times throughout Bob's career. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We did on episode 25, so two weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that episode. Has anything changed listening to it again? Uh, There's harmonica and great bass on it, but also I learned something this time, and that was St. Augustine will haunt the shit out of you if you kill him or help to kill him. Yes. Didn't really think about that last time, but he will. Yeah, that's why I don't do it. That's why I don't do it. Yeah, my moral, I mean, we did talk about it before, but my morals don't ask rashly, especially when the judgment you'll render is one that making the wrong call will give you so much grief. In that, you will be haunted by a ghost. So you need to be completely sure that the decision you make is worth being haunted by a ghost. Because it seems like this, our narrator, is not convinced that what he did was worthy of the shit that came after. So everybody out there, take note. Next up is a little song. I've never, this is the first time I've ever heard it. It's called All Along the Watchtower. 
Uh, this song has been played 2,257 times, is far and away Bob Dylan's most played song in his entire oeuvre. Uh, like a Rolling Stone is the only one second, and that has 2,011 as of today. So that's still 200 times less than Knocking on Heaven's Door. Wow. Would you have guessed that would have been, I mean, of the songs that you know and like some of the big ones, would you have guessed this? that one would have been his most played song ever? It's a great If song. I would have thought about it for a little while, probably, yeah. It would, would have been up there, that I suppose. Or like Rolling Stone, yeah. Yeah. Or the, the other one that I can't ever remember the name of that we, was on the album last week. Uh, Mr. Tamarine, ma'am? No, the one that they sing in, in Forrest Gump, that Jenny sings in Forrest Gump. Oh, Blowing in the Wind. That one. Yeah. yeah. I think that fell out of favor for a while and then came yeah, back. Yeah, because it was about, like, it was a specific. Yeah. And he played it a fuck ton in the early 60s, but yeah, I think it slowly goes away and Go goes All along the Watchtowers forever. All on the Watchtower is forever, and like the and I, you start to understand more. I mean, I I got what they were doing in Battlestar, but like the circuitousness of the lyrics, I think makes this one of the best songs ever. It just the way that the story told in three succinct verses essentially starts over. That last verse is the first, and it just mm-hmm. circles it just over ends with like, and over. They're at the gate. And the riders are coming. We can see them on their way. And then they're there. And then we're talking. And then they're coming again. And it's this never-ending thing. I mean, that's what's fascinating about every single one of these. It, the verses are so short, except for maybe Frankie Lee and Judas mm-hmm. Priest. But but that was the first song he did. And I think um, they make a point of it later in Drifter's Escape that he learns how much he can pack a five-act story, Highland says, a five-act story into a three-verse song. And once Bob Dylan figured that out, in Drifter's Escape, his second song that he did for these sessions, it changed everything that he was doing. And he just started writing in that way. There must be some way out of here Say the joker to the theme There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessmen, they drink my wine About the song itself, I thought was really interesting. Uh, there were a couple of interpretations, and we'll get into it more, but I guess I want to share these because they're kind of fun. Uh, one is by Andy Gill, who, is, who does a lot more with religion, and so he kind of has a quote here. He says, quote, In Dylan's version of the song, it's the barrenness of the scenario which grips the, the high-haunting harmonica and the simple forward motion of the riff carrying understated implications of cataclysm. As subsequently recorded by Jimi Hendrix, that cataclysm is rendered scarily palatable through the devilish whirls of the guitar. And then Dave Van Ronk, you remember Dave Van Ronk? He was the guy who uh, did House of the Rising Sun right, first, right, yeah. and then Dylan stole it. We saw him in the in the um, movie, uh, No Direction Home. He is pretty snarky, so I thought I would share this one with you. Uh, he says, quote, That whole artistic mystique is one of the great traps of this business because down the road lies unintelligibility. Dylan has a lot to answer for there in the song itself. Because after a while, he discovered that he could get away with anything. He was Bob Dylan, and people would take whatever he wrote on faith. So he could do something like All Along the Watchtower, which is simply a mistake from the title on down. A watchtower is not a road or a wall, and you can't go along it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, thank you, Dave. (laughs) Amazing. I love it. Let's get pedantic. Let's get down to it. So, And he's not wrong. And I also think that's that's something important that I think a lot of Dylan fans don't take seriously, which is like... He's not God. And there is an aura of Dylan being Dylan and fucking with you. 
that you can't take away from the man. He will pretend that things are more profound than they actually are. And the things we actually do find comfort and profundity in, he will pass off as lame and stupid so that we feel stupid. And that's what Bob Dylan does. This song to me, and I don't know if it's a, well, I'm sure it's a combination of this song was written in an era and is used to describe an era. But it was like, this song sounds like a Vietnam War thing because it just, I can see clearly a movie set then with this song playing in the background. Like, Chopper's coming in, here's the song. I mean, more specifically, Jimi Hendrix version, but... Like, I think he's in a couple, actually. Yeah. Like, war movies where they do set the opening to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, this song just sounds like the Vietnam War to me, which is weird, because I'm not that old, and also, no. So, but, this song, this song compared to Jimmy's... Uh, I mean, they're just... They're, they're, they're different. They're different. I mean, I like Jimi Hendrix version so much, and if I was going to listen to one of the two, it would be that one over Forever. Bob Dylan. Yeah, I would yeah. take that one. Uh, but it's still cool. It's cool. I like a lot. I was I was worried that it was going to be kind of sloggy, but it's yeah. not. It's like one of the more the the first up tempo song on on the album. That's and, true, actually. And it's nice. It was really a good break too, because this album sounds really similar, which makes sense. And I I like when albums are cohesive like yeah. that, with the exception yeah. of the last two songs that are that seem out of place, but. Uh, it was a good, like, it broke it up nice. Yeah, I appreciate it did. Uh, and I learned that guarding a watchtower must be pretty boring. Yeah, oh my god, it would be the worst. Especially in that weird, like, medieval what's going on. That's what I love, yeah. too. There's no setting. There's no, who are these people, the Joker and the Thief. And you can, re- I, you can read into it biblically, or you can just take it on face value of just, like, what those words are. And, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, just seeing this, like, tit-for-tat spy game is, especially coming off of Game of Thrones, it's like, all right, I can see, I can see all of this in in Westeros, and you know, sort of, right. which I really, I love. I think that's great. All right, next song, uh, which I think also breaks it up and is a very different feel from what we had been doing before, the Ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. Now, it wouldn't surprise you that this is where Judas Priest gets their name from. This song. Oh yeah, so I was wondering, but I was like, that's, yeah, you're almost like that's can't that's be, too that obvious. can't be it, right? Yeah. No, nope, this is definitely it, and it was played only twenty times, but the first was in 1987. Um, and the last time was in 2000. So there was a sweet moment where he, like, remembered that this song was cool. <laughs> and he never went back to it. So in the last 17 years. So maybe wow. someday out there, go to a show, you might get you might get the ballad. So uh, what do you think about this one? This song is significantly longer than all the rest of them. Yeah. And this was the first song, kind of set the narrative tempo, if you will, for the entire record. This was the first song that he recorded. Huh. Um, it, I put that it's like a bop along song. It's nice. It's just you want to bounce your head. I apparently was not listening to the words very closely. but No, you definitely were not. The, <laughs> you had this on all week, too. And it's one of those things where you start to, I, you know, if you're not, like, intently listening to the lyrics, too, the, all of this entire album is so sonically cohesive. And a lot of people make that distinction about John Wesley Harding. It um, it kind of all washes over you because yeah. there's enough nuance and variation that you can kind of keep doing different things and have a different feel. It's not just, like, 38 minutes of the same, mm-hmm. either good or bad. But yeah, I think it's this is what one where the lyrics are really where the song it's even if up tempo song the lyrics can be utterly dark and you know oh insane. yeah I mean that is like and you wouldn't know it if you're like postal service exactly. <laughs> and Dylan too you know and and so this is definitely one of them so barring getting into the words what what oh well I mean I put Frankie Lee is a bum uh, <laughs> and that what we I wanted learned, that ten dollars I know what I learned was that if you uh, stack $10 bills 
on a stool, you can open a portal into a heaven dimension. Yeah, something like that. But the song told me what I should have learned is that... Yeah, so what is the moral of the story? uh, One should never be where one does not belong. You should help others and don't mistake paradise for roadside houses. Wow, you took all the poetry out of what the actual (laughs) thing is. Don't go mistaking paradise for the home across the road. I love this song so fucking much. This is like a dark and mysterious. It's like an Edgar Allan Poe story where you just got these like weirdo fucking Frankie Lee, just a fucking weirdo. <laughs> and then you've got this, I mean, this other dimensional being who is Judas Priest showing up and offering him money, taking it. And then they have these great, these great tit for tats. I mean, I, some of the best lines here. I'm going to start my picking right now. Just tell me where you'll be. Judas pointed down the road. Eternity, eternity, said Frankie Lee, with a voice as cold as ice. That's right, said Judas, eternity, though you might call it paradise. And also I love what he says. Um, what kind of house is this, he said, where I have come to Rome? It's not a house, said Judas Priest. It's not a house. It's a home. Mm-hmm. Great lines. Fantastic. The way he says that too is- it's not a house, it's, it's a home. home. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. Like the control, like whatever he's trying to do, he utterly succeeds. I want to shout out the mission bells tolling. Let's not fuck around. Bells, bells. are very much here, which is great. Uh, yeah, this creepy town, this creepy fucking house uh, with women's faces on every... Four and 20 windows. Four and 20 windows, woman's face in every one. Uh, Frankie Lee uh, beginning to froth from the mouth and then dying 16 days later in Judas Priest's arm. arms. What the fuck is going on? Then the creepy boy at the end who just turns and is, he just says, nothing is revealed. Uh, I think it would make a pretty cool movie. The moral of this story, the moral of this song is simply that one should never be where one does not belong. So when you see your neighbor carrying something, help him with this load. Don't go mistaking paradise for the home across the road. I don't get it. What don't you get? Help your neighbor with their load. Well, that I get. Oh, yeah. The other ones, I think... Don't think that the grass is greener on the other side. Oh, okay. Like, don't take the shortcuts to go to where you think you want to go. That's what I see. So don't go mistaking paradise as being just one door down or whatever. Like yeah, something you got to work for and okay. want. So, all right, Drifters Escape, which I would say that and as I went out one morning, are are definitely two of my favorites. Although Drifters is definitely my most listened to song on this on this album over the course of my entire life. So Kelly, what do you think about Drifters Escape? Um. Harmonica and bass, <laughs> which I have put for every song, apparently. Um, I don't know. I guess I just put praying leads to convicts ex- escaping because while they're like bending over to pray or whatever, the guy gets away, right? Oh, I also put crying juries are useless. Well, they weren't crying. Well, at the end. Well, they got down on their knees because they thought God had. Yeah, I missed the entire himself. point of this song. Yeah, the it, yeah, the point of the song. I mean, you missed. The song, I the narrative the song. of the song. <laughs> yeah, it, he's basically, I, I'm in prison for something I don't know what. And the judge says, he cast his robe aside, a tear came to his eye. And he says that he can't help him. He wishes he could, but he can't help him. And the jury is out for blood. And they're like, this guy, he's convicted. Fuck that guy. And, and still, you, the protagonist, are like, what's going on? I haven't done anything. Or maybe I have. Maybe I'm a, you know, again. And then the lightning strike, deus ex machina for him, because he's a, God-like person, you know, the God came down or the devil came down. So, or nature. See, that's what I put. I was like, maybe nature just said, I like this guy. He picks up his trash. He's cool. I'm going to let him go. Um, the moral of my tale, 
was um, to not be in the jury. Don't erect or be a part of a society that judges people for no reason. That's good. That is good. Yeah. Uh, this was, yeah, like I said, the second I already went into that. All right, so the next song we have on the list is a song that we are very familiar with in episode 24, Dear Landlord. Any changed thoughts on that? I really heard the bass because I was listening for it. Did you hear the harmonica too? There's no harmonica on this oh, one. Oh, man. That was your twist right there. Right? I thought I was going to get you in, no. but no, never going to do it. And all I uh, I still don't know. I still know what the song was about. I still don't know what I was supposed to learn from it. I just, I just don't know. Well, I think if you listen to episode 24, <laughs> you would understand that I guess you I did listen to, to the pleas around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we all are pleading with one another, and you right. have to respect the person that's pleading. Acknowledge their, their pleading, I guess. I keep saying the word pleading. I wish that there was a variation on that word but yeah they they plea it's up to you to accept that pleading into your life but regardless of what you do your relationship has changed irrevocably because you either ignore it and they hate you and resent you or you acknowledge it and then things have to change so um i think the moral of the story is that you have to be the one to advocate for yourself so don't be in something that you are playing to somebody who does not listen uh this was played six times from 1993 to 2003 so this was one where you found out later in life I think we definitely go over that in episode 24. All right, next song is called I Am a Lonesome Hobo. Kelly, what's what did you feel about the song? Harmonica, Harmonica bass. bass. Also, it's a weird name for a song. I Am a Lonesome Hobo. Yeah, I feel yeah. the same way. I had to it's actually so look weird. it up and be like, wait, he has a couple songs about hobos. I'm like, is this the right hobo? Okay. <laughs> oh All my right. God. And I Am a Lonesome Hobo, yeah. It is a weird, weird time, which I like. Spending money uh, on gold teeth and silk clothes is the fast track to homelessness. That's what I learned from the song. Or, I guess more succinctly, a fool and his gold are soon parted. See, and actually in the song, it wasn't that he lost his money and became a hobo as much as he coveted his wealth so much that it ruined his life. He does say, I mean, the actual moral of it is, but let me warn you all before I do pass on, stay free from petty jealousies, live by no man's code, and hold your judgment for yourself, lest you wind up on this road. Which is nice. The road of being a lonesome hobo. The road of being a lonesome hobo. No one says hobo anymore. I feel like it's maybe offensive. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it is. It's supposed to mean something. It's just a weird word. I love it though. I would like. I would mind being a hobo. And also, I think it's it's about any language is taking it back. The, I mean, this hobo is, and they make a point of it too. And something I was reading where, you know, at the time, being homeless and a hobo, if you will was something looked down upon as if you've made mistakes. This song is almost saying, I didn't make any mistakes. It was really my greed. What I am a part of the system is what made me a home, a hobo. Because in, in fact, he could be a fine dude. He's not asking for money. He's probably a banker who's living with his family and is great and is having a fine life of luxury and whatever. But in his heart, in his real life, he's a, he's a hobo. He's empty on the inside. So, right, we don't see... I don't think there's is there any evidence that he's on a he's not panhandling because he says he doesn't beg for money, so he might not actually be a hobo in a traditional sense, but more of a spiritual hobo. Somebody, <laughs> somebody lost, not searching, but lost, right. maybe searching, but you know, homeless on the inside, and that's kind of sad because we just had Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. Homeless we just saw a terrible house. Jesus. Anyway, Kelly, this is what you do: you have to dive into the songs. You gotta, you gotta look, look around. So anyways, that's the moral of the story. Haven't we all thought about being homeless? And also, I hope that this is real because this is the fate that I like to see for people like Donald Trump. Hmm. Homeless on the inside. On the outside would be great. But just a piece of shit who aggrandizes wealth and himself 
at least the hobo has enough self-consciousness to say, wow, I'm really a piece of fucking shit. Well, that's why that'll never happen. That's why it'll never happen. So fuck that guy. Also, just want to say, I love the syncopated drums and the way Bob Dylan says, I got 14 karat gold in my mouth. I am 14 karat gold in my mouth and silk upon my back. But I did not trust my brother. I carried him to blame. Which led me to Great. All right, next song, which is probably a little bit strange, and we'll try to like delve into it as best we can. Uh, but we'll definitely save this one for when we get it. Uh, I pity the poor immigrant. This was played 17 times from 1969 to 1976, so a short time frame. This was actually played on the Rolling Thunder review, so maybe I'll find one and pop it in. Um, so Kelly, what do you think about this song? It takes the same beats as all the rest, three verses, but um, yeah, radically kind of different, different all around. Harmonica and bass. Uh, wow, that's a shocker. It was weird. I was like, immigrants are bad is what I'm supposed to be taking from right this, bat, which yeah. weird. And then, but maybe not, and we should be empathizing. I, what had just happened? And Bob just like through this whole thing is, he's very, being very salty. He's just like, yeah, fine, do do those things that are making you happy. We'll see how that ends up. Yeah, yeah, okay, you do them. I'm like, All right, man, calm down. Yeah, the first verse is probably the hardest part to deal with. Like, I think what's important for us, because I'm, I'm going to admit to this as well, and I'm going to mention Tony Atwood in a little bit, and he mentions, I think he wrote this a couple of years ago, there's a difference between an immigrant and a refugee. A lot of times when I think, especially in the political climate we're living in right now in America, I think it's pretty natural to look, to see this song in a very specific light. Um, that was not the same light that Bob Dylan was writing it on. So I think you bring a lot to it. And so the last two verses, I think, are so much easier to, to swallow today. I think the idea of like whose tears are like rain, who eats but is not satisfied, who hears but does not see, they're, I mean, they're like metaphors for they're not f- being fulfilled as an American, as a German, as whatever they are, because they never will be fully accepted. So I pitted the poor immigrant because they'll never be fully accepted. And we do, we go out of our way to make sure that they're the other that we can always look down upon. <laughs> And so I think what made it interesting with Tony Atwood's approach that – because this song really has always kind of baffled me. He he kind of digs into the first part, which I think is the most problematic part because I don't understand it. Because in that one, he's talking about how – basically, I'm again thinking in current terms where we're talking about somebody being radicalized, somebody who's going into a place and is turning against the society, right? He's turning into kind of all of the cartoonish devil characters that we – in the West, like to make people who come over to our country, quote unquote, um, in, out into. And so that first verse kind of does that. But Tony goes into it a little bit deeply. He says, quote, on one level, Dylan pities people who do bad things because they ine- then inevitably their world falls apart. And that kind of goes along with the John Wesley Hardings of the world. It's like you have the pity for people who do things. That's that's fine. That's like a universal thing. We all know people who do, do dumb shit. Um, but the opening lines also pity those who forever believe that the grass is always greener. And on and again, that's the difference between a refugee who literally it is the grass is greener and an immigrant who is just somebody leaving one place for another. In short, Dylan is focused on people who think that the answer to all of, all of their problems are simple. If only I'd moved to another country. If only she had loved me. If only we had a child. If only I had a bit more money. I like that. 
like you sort of you're not turning in a radical way and becoming a suicide bomber, but you're turning on your new place because it's not what you thought it would be. And I don't know how it all goes together. I think at the end, this is another one that I think I pitied the poor immigrant. It's just a great line. That's a great, like, give me a cool line to start writing a story or some words on or poem on. What a great opener. That's kind of a catchy, like, oh, I pity them too. And I think it's the same thing with, like, Dear Landlord and, you know, all of them. Just didn't know where to go from there. Just didn't really know where to go. And so he just kind of tried. And I think it comes off really uneven. The next song is uh, Wicked Messenger. This is played 205 times from 87 to 2009. Let me guess, Kelly. The bass is great. The drums are great. I really like the drums on the first couple songs. I mean, they're, it's fine consistently, but it is really, they're not super technically challenging, but they sound perfect. Yeah. I don't know. They sound really They're fun. not technically challenging, no. Yeah. I think that's almost the beauty of it. I'm sure it's a really simple kit, too. And yeah. just sort of. Which yeah, this is one where he does a lot of, um, and that's why Lonesome Hobo I like that syncopatedness because it's doing, it's playing like these, these fills on his words, like filling yeah. in. It reminded me a lot my, when my brother used to play drums because he only had like a little four piece kit. Yeah, it was just it sounded cool because it was just like he oh, might be like, playing on a four yeah. piece. You never know. Which I think is sometimes a testament to a better drummer too. Like if you can make a lot of sound and do a lot of shit with less equipment, I don't know. Or like Slipknot with two drum sets and. Or like what's his name? Doesn't Neil Peart have a Neil drum Pert set that goes around everything. like? Yeah. What are you doing? It spins too. I mean, the dude can play some drums, but come on. Yeah, the harmonica is wicked, for lack of a better word. It is like doing these weird scarecrow type of like. I don't even know how to describe it. And the bass is like following Dylan's words, which is so cool. There was a This is another upbeat song. Like it's this basically for me. This and all along the watchtower that have the fastest tempo and like are. Yeah, I think that's right. Really, and I didn't. I don't know. I couldn't figure out what the song was about. Either. I was like, "Kill the messenger." Is that what it is? Because the last line, he's like, "What does he say? Yeah, he don't, said, if you're not, if you're going to bring bad news, don't bring any at all." Something yeah, like that. yeah, that's it. If you cannot bring good news, then don't bring any. Yeah, don't bring any. So I was like, uh, "Kill yeah. the messenger." Is that what the moral is? Who can say? Yeah, the religiousness of it is one thing, but this song is clutch because. It is dark and mysterious. I like it in the same way that I like Judas Priest because it's like a wicked messenger is a cool concept. And obviously it has a religious overtone because it's a messenger. It's somebody coming from another place. But you can feed it whatever you want. And I I like this because I think it's a clear – It's been this is not a point that I've made, but it is a clear delineation between Bob Dylan's uh, work in the 1960s. Pretty much ends right now. The recording of the of the wicked messenger – signals a, a sea change for what Bob Dylan is going to record and release after. And he prob- he would not come into his own again until 1974, Planet Waves. But from right from now until then, I think everything pretty much stopped with The Wicked Messenger. Like that was Bob Dylan on the train, if we believe that, writing the last remnants of the 1960s. And what came after is the amnesia that we will talk about later on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what he called it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just he, could, he didn't know how to write these songs anymore. I guess that moves us on to the final two, which we're just going to lump together. Down Along the Cove and I'll Be Your Baby Tonight. Down Along the Cove has been played 83 times from 99 to 2006 was the last time. And I'll Be Your Baby Tonight has been played 444 times. 
And this might be one of the longest stretches from 1969 to 2015, wow. recently as 2015. So um, a lot of times he's played that. And that's a pretty, I mean, there's really nothing to that song. So Kelly, taking those two together, how did you feel? Because it's a very tonal, totally different thing at the end of this record. Down Along the Cove has a little bop along bass line, which is the only way I can describe it. Also dum, harmonica. Dum, 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 <laughs> dum, dum. Yeah, it's almost like you're on Sesame Street or something. Yeah. And I put get that solo because at the end the bass is like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Everybody watching us say goodbye knows we in love, yes, they understand. Also, did you notice another instrument making its way into the fray? Um, there's definitely like a steel guitar on the steel next guitar? one. Yeah, that's it. No, de- on that one. Too. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I guess I didn't notice on this one, but yeah, um, I didn't notice that. Coves are excellent spots to meet women. Oh, nice. Oh, you kept going with the morals. See, I stopped there. I was like, there's well, that's the last one because for <laughs> I'll be your baby tonight. I was like, twangalang, harmonica, and I said, even the harmonica is tired. Oh, <laughs> or Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and shrug because I was like, well, no, is, it's also know. kind of tired. And that's almost kind of the way it's supposed to be, though. Like, it is that, like, draw. It's like a drawl. It's like, as a slower song. I kind of like it, though, the way that the harmonica, like, hangs over it. It's not, he's not playing fast over a strummy beat or whatever. It's just kind of like, this song is going pretty slow. And my <laughs> harmonica is too. Uh, according to Bob Johnson, the producer, Dylan was, quote, staying at a Ramada Inn down there, and he played me his songs, and he suggested that we use bass and guitar and drums on the record. I said, fine, but also suggested that we add steel guitar, which is how Pete Drake came to be on that record. Now, Pete Drake is interesting because he just got off playing a record of Chet Atkins. Chet Atkins, we will remember if if we do, is from our first theme time, Dreams. Um, oh, wow, yeah. I remember when he calls out, and thank you, Chet. Yeah. yeah, so Chet Atkins, and he was playing with him just before he was on here. Wow. The worlds are all coming together. It's a beautiful thing. Clint Highland said about the first 10 songs, he said, fear and loathing ripple through the first 10 songs on John Wesley Harding like rats in a cornfield. These songs are a lot different, obviously. So they're very upbeat, very casual, very cute. He's obviously talking about somebody... Or just reminiscing on old loves. I guess coves are a good place to find women. Well, I mean, and I'll be I your love. baby tonight is, I guess, your selling point. And then they'll say, yes, Bob, Dylan, you're a famous <laughs> musician rock star. It was so weird that we met on this cove. I guess you will be my baby tonight. Yeah. So those two songs were written after. So that's where uh, Pete Drake comes in after. So these were the two afterthoughts to the record. So... He literally went. These were actually played before he played "Dear Landlord." The final, the final, um, the final day of recording. He did "Down Along the Cove" in one take. These are the first takes of "Down Along the Cove." To "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight," and "The Wicked Messenger," and then "Dear Landlord." So all four of those were one take. He basically walked into the studio for thirty minutes, 
banged him out and walked out. Whoa. So, yeah, again, I can't stress it enough. Nine hours to record this masterpiece. Now, what happened after John Wesley Harding? I think I just want to bring it up just so we kind of know where we're at. We have gotten as far as we've done a little self-portrait, which is kind of a – so far we've had good self-portrait, except for – I mean, Woogie Boogie, does that count as good? I don't know. It's fine. It was weird. And we've listened to Planet Waves. So this is like th- – that's really – I mean, I, there are some records after this. I don't want to belittle those. But the next huge creative spurt is really going to start with – planet waves and then move on um so after this bob dylan quieted down admittedly dylan notes quote one day i was half stepping and the lights went out and since that point i more or less had amnesia it took me a long time to get to do consciously what i was able to do unconsciously he could have just disappeared and been this 60s phenomenon because he wasn't able to recreate that in a different realm and obviously if we know our Battlestar galactica then we know that he was bitten by the all along the watchtower bug that right, sort of right. did, did what it was going to do. Sense. But we've also talked about on other podcasts this idea of the rippling waves and how do, do we c- capture songs or do songs grow out of us? And so obviously, I think both. I mean, if you capture them and then you feel it, who knows? The band, we should note, because we're, we're talking a lot of basement tapes and we're doing that. I mentioned that the, he, he went from the basement tapes to John Wesley to the band again. He went back to the basement. Uh, Woody Guthrie died right before he did his first sessions. Uh, for John Wesley Harding. We noted on Dear Landlord, I think it was the first one, that some of these songs and the moralizing on them are very much like Bob Johnson said, that 29 Bob Dylan, or the 29 Woody Guthrie Dust Bowl Blues sort of ballads that he would do. And a lot of these have that same thing. Like Outlaws obviously are there and like Sinners and all this kind of stuff, but it's moralizing, like telling a tale with a with a clear cut and dry, something you're supposed to learn. And so after Woody Guthrie died, they did a big um, memorial show to him. And Bob called immediately when he died and said, I want to be a part of whatever it is. Of course, Bob Dylan's going to be a part of it. And he got the band um, to play for him because that was kind of tangentially his only band. They weren't yet the band because they hadn't released their first record. And they were actually billed on the show as the Crackers. Oh, man. Little little unknown uh, tidbit. No, that's not unknown at all. I know it, so you can know it too now. <laughs> uh, they played three songs by Woody Guthrie, Grand Cooley Dam, which is in Washington, uh, Dear Mrs. Roosevelt, and I Ain't Got No Home. I'm just a rambling man. And it would be another 18 months before Bob Dylan would get out and play songs again, which we have heard at the Isle of Wight, which is where we hear our waltz for I Dreamed Us All St. Augustine. So... Everything is coming together. We're starting to piece these things together. This also is a great lead into one of our next supplemental series. We're going to be looking at that death, which will now have occurred 50 years ago um, in October. So we're going to be doing a Woody Guthrie conversation. Kelly. Yes. We are done with John Wesley Harding. I think I was expecting, like I said, the more of harmonica guitar. Oh, oh that is just it. him. Yeah. Yeah. And for some reason I thought this was going to be that. One of those. Yeah. So you just wasn't. didn't know where to place it per yeah. se. I mean, you hear 67, you don't really think because you don't know the I don't, Yeah, exactly. I have no concept really. Yeah. So but this guess, is after, like, I want you. Mm-hmm. So this is after the psychedelia, if you will. This okay. is after the craziness of that. See, that seems so uh, anachronistic to me. And it's, that was what people said at the time. Huh. They didn't really understand what was going on, but they knew something was there. Weird. I think that's what even draws me in, you know, 50 years later. Like when I heard this 15 years ago, I always thought I, I liked the other stuff better, like just as a matter of fact. But there was always something really spooky about this and something mm-hmm. weird. And the songs that stood out to me, like I Dreamed of All St. Augustine, Drifter's Escape, 
really the upbeat ones all along the watchtower that was a shock for me when i heard that for the first time i was like oh my god not only is it really good but i did not know that Jimi hendrix didn't write this right you yeah. know that was i didn't lot, know until yeah. you watch Battlestar galactic and you're like that's a fucking bob dylan song yeah. and a lot of people <laughs> contribute the reason for john wesley harding still being in the canon and being so reevaluated all the time is because of Jimi hendrix because that version alone got people to go out and and Find out where it came from and be yeah. like, oh, shit, Bob Dylan. I know that Bob Dylan, but what is, what is what are these weirdos standing in the woods doing? You know, yeah. you're looking at the cover. You're like, I don't really know. And you put it on and it's not what you think, but it's certainly not off the bat, like, inherently bad in any way. It's got everything you'd want, this crazy bass and these fast drums. And you're like, okay, I don't – this is different. This is not Jimi Hendrix, but – I'm not instantly turned off. Yeah. I think anybody put it, putting it on would not be turned off right away. Well, it's still this song. I mean, it's that bass line, that doop, 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 mm-hmm. doop, like that's there. Yeah. No matter what. Uh, and so I think people, people, I, I think it's probably fair that without All Along the Watchtower being there, this might just be kind of, I don't know. I think some of the songs stand up, but some of them are not as good. They're, you know, I'm Alone, Some Hobo falls a little bit flat. I mean, they all work together so well, but they don't work together by themselves. You know, we've had we had a lot of trouble with Dear Landlord and I Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine where you do a lot of reaching and you do a lot of like, I don't really know what I think and what I want. And If I came back to this album, I would listen to All Along the Watchtower and uh, Battle of Frankie Lee. Judas yeah. I think that was, that Those was probably would be the my two. favorite. All right. So we are a real podcast, if you didn't know. I mean, you've been listening to us for an hour. So we love to get down and dirty. Weird. Weird. Let's. That's yeah. Getting getting into the songs, we get down and dirty into the songs. Uh, so join us at our website sotwpod.com. Everywhere at sotwpod, we love your feedback. A lot of people have been, um, you know, doing stuff on Twitter. It's been really fun to like post a lot of images and have people reacting and and doing stuff. So please continue to do that. Tell your friends on Twitter or in real life. Just say hey. SOTWpod at SOTWpod.com, SOTWpod, full show notes at SOTWpod.com. Just do that. And then slowly over time, people will just be like, shut the fuck up. I get it. And then they'll become lovers for life. It'll be great. Oh. <laughs> with us. With oh. us. With our podcast. Not with you. If, if this is like a dating strategy okay. for you, don't do it. Because like you're the, the person you are courting will not appreciate you talking about Bob Dylan at all at first. <laughs> you trick them into, I don't know who Bob Dylan is, and then you get them with, I listen to a Bob Dylan podcast. And then if they stay, it's true love. If they don't, you didn't need them to begin with. Fuck them. It's true. It's true. I mean, anybody out there, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, and I'm right here. I know, but once you get 127 <laughs> episodes in, you'll know. You'll You'll know exactly. What happens at 127? <laughs> I won't tell you. All what? right. What? Did I say something? You're just saying garbage, right? Is that a magic number? Maybe that's blind one. Let me tell. That'll never be. Maybe that's all along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. Do you have any recommendations, Kelly, before we go? Um, Bitch Media has a couple different podcasts. Um, Bitch I, Media? Yeah. Oh, you Bitch Magazine's been around since the 90s. You're not allowed to curse on this podcast. Right, right. So sorry. B word magazine, B word media. Been around since the '90s, like feminist magazine. Great stuff. Uh, they have a pod, like a network of podcasts, but uh, they have one that's propaganda. But there's two podcasts under that umbrella. So one is just like a little docu series, kind of where they go different places. Like they did one on Savvy Island, and I was like, that's oh. weird and specific. And then uh, Back Talk, which is the one that it's like a conversational where they talk about pop culture and stuff. Um, that happens bi-weekly as well, but I think they're both under the propaganda if you look for it. Anyway, it's great. 
they have really fun conversations and they're cool. Do you people. think I could embed this into our show notes? Probably not. Because I couldn't do it for query. So <laughs> All right. So we're we're we are searching for an embeddable podcast. The search continues. Bitch Media. I do have two. Uh, Iron and Wine released a new record called Beast Epic. It is uh, it's probably not my favorite thing that he's ever done, but I'm a different person and I really love it and there's some really great songs on it and we'll I think we'll get into some of the last couple of weeks on mixed up um you know sort of making it for lost time if you will and then i want to recommend the probably the weirdest record that i've heard and i would highly recommend for you to listen to it in the coming week because i do want to talk about it called z by uh, the band is called zeal and ardor and the album is called devil is fine and it's like a mixture of black metal with like i don't i don't even know what to say like slave him type of like like vocals on top of it who were uh, it's it's straight up like an Alan Lomax recording or something mm, like okay. that um but it's totally him doing it and there apparently there's live they've played it live but in the background of everything it's like this crazy doom metal and yet Weird. him singing these like yeah I don't know these this inspirational kind of crazy songs so I don't even know how to fucking describe it but I want to listen to it more because I was listening to it while I was like writing stuff for like during our for one of our podcasts and I was just like blown away. I had to just stop and sort of decompress. Mixed Up Confusion will be coming back next week. Uh, and we will, um, yeah, we don't have any more Game of Thrones, thank God. So we are done with that. <laughs> uh, if, you're, if you are curious about our Game of Thrones coverage, though, uh, feel free. I've created a page on our website where you can get all of our you know funny jokes and stuff like that on there. Because um, that's what we call the season, right? A funny joke. Uh, let's end this. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and pick the song for next week. One out of 507, Kelly, what do you think? 32. 144. God, we've had that before. That's where Blind Willow McTell sits. And it's like... Dun, dun, dun. Well, things have shifted. Cause shit. Yeah, that's true. What did you say? 32. This would have been a weirder timeline. A song called Neighborhood Bully off of 1983's Infidels. Uh, great album. Uh, has some really bad songs on it. One of them is called Neighborhood Bully. <laughs> Uh, it's a song about the Middle East and <laughs> Israel and Egypt and stuff. Cool. So glad we're not doing that this week. I mean, it wouldn't have been the worst, but I don't know. Next week, 144, we're going back one year to Blonde on Blonde, a song called Fourth Time Around. This will be the second song we've had off Blonde on Blonde, right? Yep. Yep. I Want You was the first. and oh, okay. um And I Want to Be Your Lover is kind of from the same sessions and kind of almost sort of the same song. Um, and that was episode two, if you have not listened to that. Probably don't. That was a good song. It was a good song. And like a good canonical episode where we established the sitting on a park bench thing. Mm-hmm. But overall, probably doesn't sound good. Oh, I'm sure. Kelly, did you want to say a special goodbye to SOTW World? You said World instead of Nation. I know. I is that win. better? Is SOTW World better or yeah, SOTW Nation? Bye. Bye. Sorry, bum. Joe, there's just too much noise on the bass. There's too much finger noise, and there's too much when you hit those that one string for those notes. It's, it, it, it makes a horrible noise, and it's showing above everything. It sounds like a string rattling on the frets on a couple of them there, and it ain't gonna work.